thing, you know, we're in the business of going fast and so are the teams and, um, you know, they, they push it to the absolute limits and sometimes over it and that, that's what happens. And the full credit to Shane, you know, he just, just merged into the, into the family as if he'd been there all along. I was embarrassed for that race to restart in Tasmania. Dumb shit like that, that just isn't acceptable. From the racetracks across Australia, out here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel. It's been another big week, a great weekend of racing at Simmons Plains, and we've had a new winner. Well, not exactly a new winner. Craig Lowndes has just added his 106th supercar win and uh, joined the list of uh, the 2018 winners as he returned to form with qualifying and pole position on Sunday after a podium on the Saturday and uh, a great weekend for Triple Eight. But uh, with Jamie Wincup, in fact, heading now the points championship. Interesting weekend, because while the news came out on Friday that the uh, V6, the Turbo V6, it's been in development with uh, Holden getting uh, KRE and Triple Eight to do the engineering and uh, development work on this engine, it has now been indefinitely postponed. Uh, the introduction of it. There was going to be thought at one stage it would be racing this year, but it would appear now unlikely. This uh, news came with the fact that Mark Harland, who we interviewed, Craig and I interviewed last month in Adelaide, a fascinating insight into the uh, world of Holden, of a 20-year veteran of General Motors. He joined November 16 uh, Holden, And he has now left the business, left uh, Holden, and uh, it's quite a surprise. Um, Christine Aquilina from New Zealand, or she's not a New Zealander, but she is now the head of uh, marketing, and uh, she has been heading up uh, New Zealand Holden for a couple of years. She's now taken over. So it was uh, an interesting twist and a turn to what's been... uh, uh, fascinating that Holden are the only factory-backed team in there and the only manufacturer, but now they're starting to some cracks appear there. It would have it's very strange. We spoke to uh, Craig Lowndes on the Today Show and we asked him the question. It was a shock for them as well at Triple Eight. Anyway, the uh, other great news for the weekend, uh, a number of people showed form that they hadn't this year, including Jack LeBrock. Techno back in the top five, Jack having his best run to date, both great qualifying and great race result. It was in jeopardy with a uh, broken uh, under tray, but uh, fortunately they held their position and have now climbed into the, uh, into the not in the top ten, because they've had a few shocking results year to date. Uh, developments at Nissan continue on, but... Um, all in all, it was a, a great weekend. The new qualifying system appears to be a winner with a, a much longer overall event with the top six sitting out the first session until then it goes through various incantations, a style of MotoGP F1 style qualifying, but uh, there's great development in that area. So the next event is now Phillip Island for the supercars. We have a chat to the latest winner on this week's show, so... After the break, we'll be back with Craig Lowndes. 
Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. It's Craig Lowndes with Tony Whitlock and Craig Revelle, fresh from another of those wins. Craig, it was a wonderful weekend for you. Yeah, thanks, Tony. I think that uh, it was. It was one of those things that uh, really for us it was uh, um, really nice to bounce back. We, you know, we've been talking about obviously qualifying as being my sort of a little bit of my Achilles heel, but uh, you know, the weekend we proved that uh, you know both not only qualifying but obviously the start and race pace that we can uh, match it with everyone else. Yes, indeed, and it, it, it was no luck. In you were right up the very front from uh, the day you hit the track, so that was fantastic. I mean, the triple eight cars, the three of you were all up there. Yeah, it was, and it's something that uh, you know there has been a question about whether we're all the same or whether we start the same, um, and we do. Like honestly, that uh, you know when we go to race weekends, we're basically very similar in all regards of uh, setup and everything else. Of course. Over the course of the weekend, we do definitely do do some uh, different things to suit our own style. But uh, at the end of the day, that uh, you know, really for us, it really is something that uh, you know we do um, personalise what we do, and, uh, and of course, it's no different to any other team. So that's something that uh, you know really hasn't changed. But it really is something that we work as as a three car team and, and trying to get the best out of it. And that's um, you know, that's a credit for the team. One of the things that uh, you made mention of, I think, and read it somewhere that you'd said about how you feel this new car suits you, and maybe tyre and car combination. Uh, yeah, it is. It's something that, uh, you know, the, 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 the new ZV Commodore, it definitely has shifted the, the sort of the balance point of where the, uh, I suppose, the, the, the performance or, or the aero is, and that's something that definitely suits us. The rear of the car and, and this new, car, new Commodore has uh, definitely improved, and that's where where I'm finding the benefits and definitely finding the uh, the gains from it. And also with that, it's also the the new tyre, the Dunlop tyre, which we all talk about very similar to the 2016 style of Dunlop, um, which also suits my style. You know, and for me, when I talk about style, I love to break late, trail in uh, on breaks, and then obviously get out of the corner. So that that definitely suits the way I drive. But, of course, uh, in saying that, the competition is always very tough, very competitive, and you've got to get it right from week in and week out. One of the other aspects of it is, of course, the relationship between you and a very young man in um, in John Irish. Um, and I'm sure that he wasn't doubting himself, but as somebody who had yet to, on a regular basis, uh, have those sort of uh, successes that you had in the past... Uh, it must be tremendously encouraging for him as well. Oh, it is. It definitely is. And, and look, to be honest, there's been a bit of a little bit of criticism on Johnny's or Irish's behalf. I think that uh, for him, you know, he, he's copped a little bit because of, you know, he's young, he's keen. Um, but, you know, we, we all make mistakes as, as engineers, drivers, as people. And I think that uh, we learn from that. I think he's definitely learned as the year has gone on. 
Last year was a little bit of a hit and miss. This year it's starting to come together, and no doubt that as we go into this year, we'll become stronger and better as, as a combination. So it was great to bounce back. I really feel for the team because you know it, it is. I feel like this is my first victory again because you know it is our first victory as as Autobahn Lounge Racing. You know we had our first podium on Saturday. We backed it up with our first pole position on Sunday, and then we backed that up again with a first victory. So we ticked a lot of boxes over the course of the weekend. But, you know, of course, with that, you want to keep progressing. You want to move on. You want to get now more of that, uh, which obviously Phillip Island in a couple of weeks' time, we can hopefully try and rectify it. Yeah, and yet again, another change of pace in terms of style of track. Um, your, Your third track for the year. And of course, uh, uh, again, it, or fourth track for you, sorry. And again, it'll be that different style again. Those long corners, long winding corners. Oh, absolutely. And I think that uh, Phillip Island is that fast flowing circuit style of track. And uh, you know, it's a circuit again. I like. Um, I love it. it. We talk about it as being a driver's track. Um, so there's no doubt that uh, we'll go there with a lot of confidence coming off the back of what we have achieved at Tasmania. But Again, it's a, it's a new start. Um, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of good drivers out there that have had bad weekends that I know that are going to bounce back. You know, if you look at, uh, you know, Chaz Mostert, um, you know, who had an incredibly tough weekend, we know he's strong. Frosty as well. Like, we know those guys are going to bounce back. The Nissan guys, they showed good promise. Even uh, Simona, she had a great uh, sort of first practice, or sorry, first qualifying on Saturday and unfortunately didn't back that up. And we know that those cars are going to be strong you know, come Phillip Island time. One person that did actually show for the first time this year some real form was your garage mate in the techno car of Jack LeBrock. Now, that would have been as the number one customer. I know I shouldn't probably say that about Triple Eight having number one customer. But as your team uh, or garage mate, that was tremendous to see Jack. Oh, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, talking to Adrian Burgess or ATB, you know, they've been working yeah. very hard as, as a combination. They're a newly formed team as well, um, no different to us. And, uh, you know, we share, in a sense, of uh, a pit stop uh, boom with those guys. And, you know, we've had our ups and downs. We've had sort of, uh, you know, some uh, below par, I have to say, sort of pit stops. But, yes, we've, we've pulled our socks up. You know, we've obviously tried to make sure that both uh, Jack and myself are, um, you know, are good in that res- regard or that respect. And I think that, uh, you know, it's great for that. But also to see him perform, you know, he had two strong days. It wasn't just yeah. like he had a hit and miss. He had two no, no, strong no. days, yeah, yeah. which yeah. was great. Yes, indeed. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the points in front of me. Um, where are you sitting in the point score at this moment? Uh, we're sitting uh, six overall, and 61 points uh, off the leader, which is now Jamie Winkup. So uh, yeah, we definitely had a, yeah, had a strong weekend. Yeah, he is. And, uh, you know, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, as I said, we want to move on to Phillip Island now, and we want to... Uh, try and uh, you know, keep that momentum going of what we've uh, achieved at, at Tasmania. Yeah, yeah. Um, One thing I thought out of what we saw at Tasmania was a lot more track time in qualifying. Obviously, with the practice becoming a, a, a pre-qualifying session and then having the uh, different qualifying set up, I know you've spoken about liking it, but for the fans, and this is an entertainment business, it must be uh, better for them to see you out on track for a, a much more extended time over qualifying. Oh, absolutely. I think there's no doubt that, uh, you know, I think everyone enjoyed that, that style of qualifying. I think that uh, really for us, it, 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 it put a more of a, an importance or an emphasis on the Friday um, practice sessions because, you know, from that, that gave us our uh, you know, grid position for the top 10. And I think, 
you know, all teams really focused on making sure that you're in the top 10. And that's, you know, it was great. It it gave people at home some idea of where the sort of competition was at. I think that really that, that showcases where, where, you know, hopefully the future of supercars are going. It really does, uh, um, you know, for me, it was great. It was a great sort of uh, lead into the weekend. The process of, of going through the elimination of, of uh, qualifying definitely suited me as well. So I'm, I'm a big favourite of it. I'm, I'm be more happy if we continued that on. Did it move the problem into Friday practice, though, of congestion? Uh, no, I think that, uh, you know, to be honest, I think that uh, the Friday was, was pretty smooth. I think because you had your two, your two practice sessions to get a, a lap time, you know, you had two chances of of doing that. So it really took away the importance or the, or the, the emphasis of trying to do it in, in one session. I think that, that that was really the good thing. Uh, you know, people did look at uh, race runs in one session, did look at uh, qualifying runs in the other session. So it broke it up you know, quite evenly. And I think it worked really well. We were talking to Kim Jones uh, a little while ago and he was saying that motor racing is so different now to when he got started. You've been around for a couple of years. How different is motor racing nowadays to, let's even just go back 20, 24 years when you started in, in the national category, how, how, is, how much is it more a business than a sport? Oh, look, I think it's definitely now just much a, a very much a, 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 um, a business, the way that you operate, the way you run the teams and everything else. I think that's uh, really for us, it's, uh, you know, it has changed a lot over those years. I think that the competition right now is, I think from when I first started and, uh, you know, there was probably six, maybe five or six competitive cars. Now you've got 24, 25 competitive cars with good drivers, good teams, with well-funded resources. And I think that, that uh, you know, the, the depth of the competition has completely changed. So, yeah, look, I can definitely see the change in, in, in motor racing since when I started to now. Um, and I think that I, I also applaud that, and I think that it's a great thing. The other part about it, of course, is that nowadays, while the business is very inward-looking, as in, you know, the structure of the way in which uh, the teams make their money and the, all those sort of things, it's more far more outward-looking as entertainment business than when you started, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, we, we race more now, which is great. But uh, for us as race drivers, we get more opportunity to be seeing uh, inside a race car from when I first started. Uh, but it is very much a family-orientated uh, uh, event, and I think that uh, you know supercars have done a great job in that regard to, to really embrace uh, the family angle. And I think that uh, you know again, it, you know, when I, I, if I think back back when I started '96, '97, '98, it was sort of more of the blokey sort of Ocker style of racing, um, you know, fast cars, and that was it. Yeah, but now you go back. The scurrying through, and particularly when the days when we only had races on Sunday, and you have three twenty-minute races, do you, do you remember that? Yeah, absolutely remember that. And I think that uh, you know, I remember going through completely the, the you know the, the the polar opposites of of having sprint races as, as the format, then to go to singular race, longer races, then go back to the sprint races, and now we've got a combination of both. So I, I think it's a, it's the best of both worlds. Uh, yes, I think the formats now are great. And, I mean, I've said for a long time that we shouldn't get out of bed for less than, you know, sort of 200 or 100 kilometres. And I think that, that so long as that is stayed at, it's right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I think we've got a, we've got a good uh, mix, and especially having now Sandown, Bathurst and the Gold Coast as an endurance 
event or in, in its own little sort of championship as, as in itself, I think it's great for the for the whole year because you know regardless whether you are where you are in the championship right now, that's still a, a bonus or, a, or a, a platform that you want to win. One of the things I'm looking forward to this week, Craig, is uh, getting to Tail and Bend, and I'm sure that I think there are three guys. Um, uh, Garth Tander, Dave Reynolds, and I think somebody else is competing this weekend in GTs, the uh, enduro round there in Supercars. Maybe Tim Slade. Yeah, there's a number of um, supercar drivers driving in the bend this weekend. And yeah, it's great. Like, yeah, it, it, but it's good to see that there's obviously um, a growth in that side of it, and, and great to see that a new circuit like that's come on. And uh, we're looking forward to racing in, in August, and uh, um, you know, really for all of us in motor racing world, that. It's uh, it really is a uh, you know it's it's great to see the growth of of, um, of race tracks. I I've been around it and uh, spent some time there, and you know when people say oh it's an amazing facility, uh, yeah okay it's got a hotel of 100 rooms and all those sort of things yeah that's great, but the important thing is that the track looks fantastic. Going around both the GT and the international track, the uh, uh, international track is the one which uh, you'll be racing on 4.9, the international uh, the international rather, and the GT is the 7.7 track. I actually think the uh, the international, which is the 4.9, could be a better circuit. There are some corners there that are absolutely wonderful and real challenging corners, corners with uh, off cambers and things that'll that'll make it hard for drivers to work at it. Well, I think so. I haven't actually been there physically, um, you know, but uh, you know, from talking to Jamie and a few of the drivers that have been there, that definitely has uh, um, set the standards. And uh, you know, looking forward to it. now. I will get there before the. The August race, and uh, looking forward to seeing what what it actually the layout and the style of the track is. But yeah, I agree. I think that uh, it's great for Australian motorsport that uh, a family like that have uh, definitely backed it. Have you been well, concerned over the years about the safety of circuits, particularly one close to your home, uh, at Queensland Raceway, uh, where we've seen so many issues with safety at a track like that? And you're going, I make my living from this, and if it's not up to scratch, then why are we racing here? Well, we go to every circuit um, with their approval of FIA. So uh, the safety side of it, the angle of it, is, is something that uh, we do take very seriously. And, uh, um, you know, with the Queensland Raceway Circuit, it, it, it has had its moments of uh, safety uh, inspections. And I think that uh, there's no doubt that uh, we're always trying to improve that side of it. It doesn't matter whether it's the organisation, FIA, or, or, or the driver's side of it. Um, you know, we always want to be safe. We always want to go home at night. And, uh, and of course, with that, it's... Uh, it really is something that uh, we look at it uh, post-race as well as learning about every race that we go to. So every uh, every post-race of every weekend we go to, there's, there's uh, certain um, you know comments that get put towards the board and, and supercars to, to improve every time we go back there. It's not only just with supercars, it's just improving the safety abroad. And, and it doesn't matter what, what category you're in, you want, you want to make sure that uh, it's as safe as possible. Do you feel they listen well, to you drivers enough? Oh, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, in the past, I, I probably say that, they, yes, they did listen to us. They probably thought we were having a driver's union. But uh, at the end of the day, we're all about the same thing. It's, it's putting on a good entertainment race, but being safe about it. I think that, uh, you know, that there's definitely some, uh, some ears that are, that are listening to our comments. And, uh, you know, it, it, the comments aren't outrageous. We don't want to move a, a concrete wall 14 miles away or do anything like that. It's, it's all about just uh, looking at every aspect. What we see as race drivers completely different to flag marshals. It's also very completely different to um, uh, the camps officials that sit in the in the tower. So everyone has an input and uh, we want to move forward as a category. 
Do you remember a time when Wayne Caddick was still in the chair at Avesco and there was a move by a number of drivers, I think it was the time when Cam McConville was driving full-time, um, to start a, a, not a union, but a driver's, not a club either, but a driver's association? Oh, yeah, I do. And, uh, you know, there's been a number of times over the times I've been involved in, uh, you know, being the driving side of it, we've tried to uh, initiate that and, uh, and there's been some barriers that have... Uh, uh, definitely come up in front of us. So, uh, yeah, like at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is is uh, embrace the sport, uh, make it better for what it is, and uh, continue on being part of it. You're, you're feeling you're having a voice now, and, and there isn't that need to uh, have that at the stage. No, I think that uh, there's definitely a, a, a great process right now that is in place that we we can have our view and, uh, and have our point of view. Could you imagine the outrage if uh, it came out that they weren't listening to the most popular driver? in the sport. I reckon they'd be burning down some places in Sydney and uh, on the Gold Coast. Oh, yeah, well, it probably was that time, but uh, I think now that uh, it doesn't matter who you are, I think that, uh, you know, the good thing about it is that uh, they do take on board what we say. One last question, Craig, that um, would like to know if you had any inclination that uh, Mark Harlan was going to be resigning from his position at Holden. Bit of a shock for us. Yeah, it was a shock to all of us, I think, to be honest. I think that uh, we saw Mark at uh, Tasmania and, uh, you know, he didn't give any indication that uh, he was stepping down or anything else. So that was a, a huge um, shock to all of us. Because he certainly, he portrayed a, a person who cared a lot about the sport and certainly is, as uh, while he was still a General Motors and a Holden man, uh, he, he certainly had a long-time uh, love of motorsport. Oh, look, I think so. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest... Uh, um, also, the, the news that has come from all of that is that uh, GM or Holt, uh, whatever way you want to look at it, is focused on motor racing going forward in the future. So regardless of who sits in that position, that uh, we're here to stay. Do you care what engine is pulling you along? No, no, not at all. I think that, uh, you know, whenever we can build a race car, I'll be sitting in it and uh, driving it. Well, Craig, your next venture is Phillip Island and uh, somewhere you've had success. And I look forward to catching up with you there. And best of luck uh, there, but I'll catch you before then. And thank you for your time today. No worries. Thank you very much, guys. The other uh, joy for this week was uh, a moment when I unfortunately missed out on the opportunity, but it uh, be interesting to hear the insight that Kim Jones will give into his world of not only supercars, of course, as he being one of the partners with his brother in Brad Jones Racing, but also into the world of uh, historic racing and more club-style racing. So after the break, we'll come back with Kim Jones. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bet Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back, and we unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Freeway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Kim Jones joins us now and Kim, a lot of people know you as Brad's brother. What they probably don't know is your own racing credentials and of course you were racing before Brad was uh, in a race car himself. Yeah, look, we need to get a couple of things straight up front. Uh, my life was great until I was four. And then I shipped off to my grandmother's, and when I came home, Bradley had, Bradley had arrived. 
So uh, it, it, I, w- I was already up and running for four years before he turned up. So that, that's just to clarify things before we get going. Um, look, yeah, when we were young, motor racing really started with our father, who was the president of the local car club for 18 years straight. And he used to, he was paralysed from the waist down, so he didn't race himself, but he used to do lots of thing at the, things at the Humeweer circuit. Um, things like, uh, at one stage, one of my early memories is picking um, Jack Brabant up from the local airport. He'd flown his Cessna in, going out to the circuit, and there was a covered-in trailer, and inside that trailer was a, a Cooper Climax. And uh, I remember the, they pushed the car out, they rolled the tarp off the top of the trailer because in those days that was a, that was a lid. And then the mechanic got a roll of tools and uh, stood at one end of the trailer, rolled it all the way down, went perfectly the length of the trailer, down the ramp, and all these shiny tools. And i never forget it. Um, and that was sort of really perked my interest. And then I used to get all the working bees with Dad, and then Dad had a thing every Friday night when there was a race meeting on. He used to get the top-line competitors to take their cars into the local TV station. And uh, so he thought that that was a great way to tell the local viewers that there was a race meeting on at the Hume that weekend. And, and so he sort of had a TV show that he used to run on the Friday night. And, and that's sort of where it started. Then as we grew up, we... Uh, um, I used to build billy carts. Bradley was pretty mechanically dyslexic, so he used to run the ones that I felt were too slow for me. Um, and, and then away we went. And then we had a... Uh, we used to have this... Somehow my dad found Austin... When After the war and the people retired from the Austin factory, they built these little pedal cars that looked like uh, pre-war Austin Formula 1 cars, but they were pedal cars. Anyway, we got one of these things and it quickly had the pedals disconnected because it went fast down the hill without the pedals in it and um, and, and away we went. And then we've sort of progressed from there to push bikes, um, motorbikes. Um, we both had motocross bikes. I had a bad accident and smashed one of my legs. So sort of that was the end of my motocross career. But then I went on to road race. Um, and then it was about the time that um, Quincy had a really bad accident overseas on a road race bike and Bob Jane was a very good family friend and he was very close to the Quincy family as well. And unfortunately, when he had the accident, he became a paraplegic. So Bob came up and saw my motorbike at, the, at my dad's shop and, and said, right, you're not going to have that anymore. I've got a Formula Ford. You can have that and drive that. And, and, and so I got this Formula Ford, which was an old school car, an old Frank Gardner school car. Um, so every single nut and bolt and washer and rivet was totally wore out on the thing. And uh, I busily rebuilt it and turned it into a, quite, a, quite a good race car, which I raced in the TAA series for, for a few years. Um, and it was quite funny. I was talking to someone the other day, and I used to go away racing, and uh, I had $200 for the weekend. And that used to, if I needed a tyre or I needed parts or whatever and my fuel money and, um, and I used to sleep in the trailer, which was was a bit hard because it, it wasn't the biggest trailer in the world. And I tried sleeping on the floor, but I used to get a sore back. And 
So I put a camp stretcher inside the trailer. We were all on park one day, and Peter Fowler, who is Brian Thompson's mechanic, he used to sleep in his trailer as well. Anyway, he, for some reason, he got up very early one morning. And uh, when I was lying on the camp stretcher, I could, there wasn't enough room for me to roll over. So I had to decide to sleep on my back or on my stomach or whatever. Anyway, Pete's got up to go and have a whiz or something first early in the morning. He's walked past the trailer and he's given a huge bang on the side. And <laughs> from the inside, I can still remember, I cracked my head so hard inside the trailer. Scared the shit out <laughs> I sat up. Sounded like an explosion had gone off. Anyway, Pete thought it was a, the greatest joke in the world. And, and it was that bad. I went on and put my helmet on. It used to hurt my head. Um, but, but that's what you used to do. You know, you used to go and run on nothing and do all those sorts of things. And then um, as time progressed, I, I had a fam- young family and I chose, my wife and I chose that that's, we were going to get married and have kids and do all that sort of thing. So my racing sort of petered out. Um, always a very frustrated race car driver. Um, but um, I actually had another accident on a motorbike and was off work for a while, and then we started racing production cars um, and then progressed to um, all sorts of different things, um, Oscar and NASCAR, which we were very successful at, um, and, and I used to build the cars, and Bradley used to fill the space between the back of the seat and the steering wheel. Um, sometimes we'd have a good run, and sometimes we wouldn't have such a good run, but we, we worked very hard at what we did, um, our family and I sacrificed a fair bit, and my wife was very tolerant of all those things. Um, and probably in hindsight, looking back, I wasn't very fair on how how all that was dealt with. Um, but anyway, that's unfortunately that's that was my my cross that I had to bear. Um, and then going forward, the business grew when uh, we decided to go to uh, we had the super touring car opportunity with Audi, which was very successful again. Um, you know, that that's probably something that sticks in my mind is we went and raced in Macau and uh, Charlie Lamb was there with Snitzer and uh, this little team from Australia turned up and Frank Wheeler drove one car and Brad Jones drove the other car. Um, and at the end of the weekend, we beat Snitzer and Charlie came up to me and he said, that was a very good job. He said, that was well done. There's not too many people that beat us. Uh, and that sort of stuck in my mind for a long, you know, it's still, it, I, I feel that that's quite a proud moment mm. in in what we've done and what we've achieved. But the business has grown and, um, you know, we've got a V8 supercar team now. It's not really a motorsport. My role's changed. I don't have anything to do with engineering. Um, you know, I have a lot of life experience and a lot of, race car experience and all those sorts of things but you know they look at squiggly lines and don't watch the car anymore and all that sort of stuff which they're doing an excellent job with all that um so i've sort of gravitated into being the commercial side of the business and getting the money and um my wife and my brother say that i've got the thickest skin in the world so if somebody says no i just march on to the next one and 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 keep trying um but you know there's there's lots of things that that happen in life, you, you overpromise, you underpromise and overdeliver, um, you know, and, and try to make people that you do business with a friend because it's much easier to do business that way. But it's really the three core things in our business now is it has to be entertaining, 
you have to have commercial support, commercial partners. If you get those two parts of your business right, then you have to go motor racing. But in the past, in the early days, it was about going racing and being fast and building cars and doing all that sort of stuff. That's not so much anymore. It's about the staff and about the staff's extended family because without those people, we can't actually go motor racing. You know, we can't do it. I'm 61. There's no way I can work on cars the way that I used to work on cars. Um, Bradley can't drive them anymore. So we're sort of buggered a bit that we we rely on other people and and we've identified that that, that's a big part of our life. And when Bradley stopped driving, we sort of had a rehash of our business, so to speak. And and we decided it didn't matter where we needed to get people from to bring the skill sets to to help us um, evolve the business. That's what we do. And I think, you know, we've, we've done a pretty good job of it. If you have a look at the paddock now with V8 supercars, the actual people who used to be the racers have not survived. Um, you know, like I keep saying to people, 10 years ago, would you have thought that Volvo would have won races, Mercedes-Benz would have been part of the V8 supercar program, um, Dick Johnson would have sold to an American, the Stones wouldn't be there anymore. You know, like all these things have happened. And, and and that's because the business has changed. But it, it's about going going to work and working very hard to get a result. And 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 that's what it's about. It's not about fun about motorsport anymore. I've got a, a 1980 March former Atlantic historic car, and and I really I don't do it enough, but I really enjoy going to Winton or or to Phillip Island and racing that car. My grandchildren come along. My son comes along and helps me. The races are only six to eight laps long, so I can hold my breath for that long, which is fantastic. I get to work on that car. I really enjoy it. But more than all that, we have time to sit down and talk. We have a barbecue. People come and go. We chat about old times. That's what motorsport's about. You know, it's. I remember when one day there was a kid in a Formula Ford uh, at the historic race, and he was beside me, and he, he started pulling the wire on the man. He's car. what are you doing, mate? And he goes, ah, car won't start. And I said, well, why? And he goes, well, there's something wrong with the wire loom. It's, it just won't do anything. And I said, well, have you got a big screwdriver? And he goes, yeah. I said, okay, well, turn it on. And I shorted out the solenoid, and it started. And he goes, oh, wow, that's fantastic. I said, yeah, but what you've got to remember is once you do that, you built it into the car, there's no way you're going to reach back there with a screwdriver and jump start it. So you need to make sure you don't stall it, okay? And uh, but they're the sort of things that you can pass on that you can teach people. That's that's what motorsport used to be about. You know, that's that's how how it's evolved, and it's sort of gone a little bit away from that at the moment. You know, the the grassrootsy type motorsport that that, that I grew up with, that I knew, um, isn't so much like that. You know, there's not there's not there's very few clubs that actually have a race circuit now. It's it's big business. It's not like it used to be. Now, going back a little bit, what age were you when you had your first race? And then what age did you decide not to pursue racing as the career? Well, I don't think the latter, I don't think has ever happened. <laughs> um, the, my first my first car race, mm, yeah. you're talking about? Um 
I think it would have been in my early 20s. I, I don't know exactly. Uh, but it was a Formula Ford. And, and you know, it, it's... It, it, I sort of did it without the right... Not doing it the right way. Um, so it was a little frustrating. So then, you know, four or five years later, I just really stopped because I couldn't be... You know, I was competitive. I was running in the top two or three at one stage. You know, I had a tag on me that said that next year in the TA Formula Ford Series, I'm the one to watch and, and all those sorts of things. But but you can only do what you can do and it becomes a point where you, you're motivated to do it. But if you don't have all your ducks in a row, it becomes very frustrating. You know, I remember going to Oran Park and... Um, Bradley and I were both racing Formula Fords at that stage. And I think he was third on the grid and I was fourth for the um, TA round. Anyway, a few things happened. Jeff Esnard was there and he, he ran off the road. And, um, and and so Bradley and I were leading the race. And I had a gear linkage break. And, and, and I knew it was crook, but I didn't have enough money to fix it. So, you know, that you have those sorts of things happen and you go, okay, well, this isn't for me really. Um, But you never really lose that will to want to be able to drive drive the car and get the most out of it and do all those sorts of things. And 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 that's why I love my old race car. You know, like it's, um, I I really enjoy it. So what were you uh, doing to pay the bills? You said you had a job? Were you a motor mechanic? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. No. Um, to, to start off with, I, I used to do... <laughs> it's quite funny. I was working out at the Army at that stage in the stores um, because I was recuperating from, from an accident, earlier accident, and that was the only job that I could get when my dad's business went, went belly up. And But I used to work at the stores, and then my wife used to take the kids down to the local dairy and load up the milk truck so when I finished work at 4.30, I could go down there and get in the milk truck and then deliver milk until um, 9 or 10 o'clock at night and then come home and I'd be absolutely spent. And I'd sit down and have tea and she'd sit on the floor and count all the change and stuff to make ends meet, you know. like So you do you do what you got to do, but it wasn't really... You know, I had a time when, when I was school, um, I went and worked for Bob Jane and Pat Creer and Scott Tune in Melbourne and a few race teams and different things, but it, it, it didn't sort of really, I suppose that was a little bit of grounding in, in, in what I did, but it, that wasn't that wasn't my life. Then I came back to Albury and then I had, had the motorbike accident. I met my wife and, you know, you just I was racing motorbikes at that stage and, you know, she was very good. She was actually a computer operator at the bank and... In those days, a computer was like as big as a, you know, a 12 square house. Mm. And she used to work and do that all the time. And all my money used, we used to live off and her money used to pay for my, my motorsport to go racing motorbikes, road racing motorbikes. I used to have TZ350. Um, so you just, you know, that, that's what you do. And it's not really, they're not the things you think about. You know, it's your kids and your family and all those sorts of things. But, you know, you, you just, every now and again, you know, I drove the V8 supercar last year and, and you just want to do it because you can. Um, like it's our train set, so why not? Mm. Um, and, and the cars are quite different to what they were, 
you know, last time I drove it was like five years ago. And, and from then to now, I can still tell the difference. Like, I'm not fast or anything like that. I'm not game enough. Because if I make a mistake, like, everybody take the piss out of me. But uh, <laughs> it, it's still an enjoyable thing. I enjoy it. Obviously, you then got into a position where you saw that Bradley had the talent to go further. No, no, no. He didn't have the talent to be able to build cars. Well, yeah, that's. but he could drive them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it sort of, I don't know how it, how it sort of gelled, but, you know, we, we, um, we're very lucky that we, we had an opportunity to work together and get the most out of that side of it. Um, and it, it's just a, a natural thing. You know, I don't get, when I used to engineer cars from my point of view of engineering cars, not like, not like they do nowadays, but I, I used to go and watch the car. I used to love cool because I could see the whole track. And really, I didn't have to talk to Bradley to know what he wanted or what I needed to change to, to make it go faster. That was, you know, I could see what was going on. But the engineers nowadays, they don't even look at the cars. They just look at the squiggly lines. And, you know, if we went testing, I might be lucky to get three fools cap pages of notes that nobody else could read except me. And sometimes I couldn't even read them. Um, but within two seconds, they've got like 50 reams of paper. Um, in comparison, so it's a whole different world now to what it was back then. Um, but you know, we we sort of he drove the cars and I built them, and um, you know that's that's the way it was. And it was a you know we used to respect what each other did, and um, you know there was there was some crazy times. I remember going to call them one day and with the Oz car and the bumps were starting to develop in the corners and Bradley said, oh, there's something going on at, in the, the turn one and two with the Oz car in the middle of the corner. It's got this big knock. I don't know what it is. I said, oh, all right, well, come on, I'll hop in the passenger seat and I hopped in and we went around and went through the corner and I couldn't feel anything. He said, no, put your hand on the steering wheel. So I put my hand on the steering wheel. I still couldn't feel anything. Anyway, he goes and did another lap and took both his hands off the steering wheel, so mine was the only one. So I'm driving from the passenger seat <laughs> at full speed, and I'm like, stop, let me out. That's it. I've had enough. You know, you're an idiot. <laughs> um, but, but you know, they're, they're the sort of things that you do to try and find. You can't do it nowadays because the rules are quite a bit different to what they were back then. You know, There was a thing back then called common sense that, that doesn't exist now, so everybody has always list of rules, good cans and can'ts. Um, but you know, it's, it, it, it's been a it's been a good life. Uh, would I change things? Probably, because everybody in hindsight would change things. Um, but you know, it's it's served us well, and as as brothers, we've worked together and we've achieved. I think we've achieved quite a lot. Um, but you know, that's just my opinion. You what what prompted you guys to go to? The Thunderdome. Was it your relationship with Bob Jane, or was there an opportunity there where someone <laughs> wanted to pay you to go there, or why? Why move from? Why did we go to Thunderdome? Yeah. So, so there's another funny story with that. So at that stage, we'd been racing production cars, and um, we sort of look at around 
a little bit for the next challenge. So I this suppose. is the Starion, the Mitsubishi Starion. Yeah, the Starion, yeah. and we had a we raced a Lotus um, Esprit production car, production sports car, um, with a reasonable amount of success, and and um, we were sort of looking at what was next. And the thing that perked our interest was the amount of money that Bob was putting up, because mm. we figured we could go there with not much sponsorship, be competitive, and have enough money to be able to do the job properly. And it was American. So, it was American style, so there was a pay window at the end of the night, so you didn't have to wait for the yeah. uh, check to be cashed. That's that's exactly right. And, and, and so Bradley and I found this guy in Sydney that it had a VL Commodore. Um, that he was building into an ice car. And he decided partway through the build that he's, he wasn't going to uh, going to continue with it. So somehow we got onto it and it was cheap and we pooled all the money that we had at the time and we went to Sydney and we had a look at this thing and we decided, yep, this was it. So we rolled it onto the trailer, put the engine in the back of our panel van and headed back to Albury. You know, I pulled up at the front of my house quite late at night. The next morning, my wife came out and she said, what is that? And I said, that's our new race car. She said, it looks like it should be going to the tip. And I said, well, it's not very nice, but she was right. What had happened was it was a VL Commodore that had been in a fire. So everything that was plastic inside the car had melted to the floor. And this doofus, instead of cleaning it and doing it all properly... It just painted over the top of everything. Um, he painted the engine without covering up the inlet ports or the exhaust ports. So he put so much paint on the engine that you couldn't turn it over because all the valve stems had had paint on them. So everything we bought, basically, we had to pull apart and redo. Um, but, you know, that's that's what we did. And, and we got there the first race. <laughs> first race we went there, we had no idea what we were doing. And we had one of our friends come and help us, and his name was Colin Dudridge. He was a he's an arborist, um, but he's a big, strong guy. And so we figured he was going to be the jack man. And the only jack we had was one of those old three-ton trolley jacks that you have in a workshop that, were that orange. weighs about. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's it. that's the exact jack that we used in the first race. Anyway, we we. We finished the car on the night before the race. The first laps that it turned were in qualifying. I think we qualified 19th or something like that. It was lime green, the car, which you never should paint a race car green, so I'm told. We went out. When we came in for our first pit stop, Coles dived under the back of the car and jacked it up in the centre of the diff because that's how you normally jack a car up. Um, we pulled the back wheels off and did it, and then he ran around the front and put on the cross member and jacked the front of the car up. And I think we were the first ones to to do a pit stop that day. Anyway, the next group come in and they jumped on the side. Then they jacketed it up from the side and do them one side, then run around the other side, do it the other side. They got lighter eight aluminium jacks. Um, so it was. And then I think the next race we got pole, um, and that was the start of the road to being quite successful at that place. But we used to almost live there. We did thousands of laps around the place. Um, we knew it inside out. We knew the cars inside out, um, and and we we learned a lot. Did you enjoy the NASCAR as much as the Oscar? Um, we didn't run the NASCAR. We only ran it for twelve months. 
it was a really crazy thing. I, we, we, when we went to America one time, I got friends with Ray Everingham, who was Jeff Gordon's crew chief at Hendrix. And we were the first ones to buy a Hendrix car outside of the Hendrix group, which Ray convinced them that it was coming to Australia and we're a bunch of doof-doofs and we don't know what we're doing and nobody will ever learn anything off it. Um, that was a car that was built for Charlotte uh, for night racing. Which is the mirror image, except Thunderdome was a bit smaller. That's correct. Um but it was run. It was to run at night. Anyway, we got the car here. And we unloaded it out of the truck, out of the container, and we did all our prep and went out in the afternoon. And it didn't matter what we did; we couldn't make this thing balance. We couldn't make it work. We couldn't do anything. So I got on the phone. I said to Ray, what, "What's going on? This is." A... He said, "He run in the daytime or nighttime." I said, "We'll run in the daytime. You've got to qualify in the afternoon." He said, "It'll be right when it gets dark." <laughs> said, what? You're kidding? He said, "No, it'll be right when it gets dark." And he was right. That thing was a rocket. As soon as the sun went down and the air cooled and got a little bit thicker, it, it, it used to... And then it was one turn in the spring seat from being an understeering car to being an oversteering car. It was for big ball joints and big springs and all that crap. It was a very finessed piece of equipment. Um, and, and, you know, the thing about... You know, is quite often we'd start a race and the car would be terrible. And, and we'd be screaming at each other on the radio and it wouldn't be, but by the, by the, t- by the pay time in the race, we'd worked that thing and got it so fast. It was unbelievable. The, the, the adjustments and the things you can do and the pit stop strategies and all those sorts of things, which we love. And, and, and that's, that's what helped us. But, um, yeah, it's a long time ago. I can hardly remember. <laughs> of course, you got into the Audis and into Super Touring, and then eventually it was inevitable that you would make the move to what then was called five-liter racing. Yeah, and, and look, Tony Longhurst was getting out of the sport. Um, we saw an opportunity there. <laughs> it was quite funny, actually. We, we went there and we bought the we bought the car and all the stuff, and I went and had a look at it all. And, it was early January, and uh, I was just took his hand and did the deal and worked out what we were paying and all that sort of stuff. And I said, what are you doing with your licence, Tony? He goes, oh, I don't know. I said, do you know in a minute, if you don't do something, what if you don't sell it? Um, you've got to give it back to Vat Supercars because you're not running. They'll, they'll find you. If you don't use it, they'll find you. He goes, oh, really? I said, yeah, so how about I give you this much money? He goes, oh... Well, he bought all this. Oh, yeah, rightio. Shook my hand. So I made him write out a receipt to say that I owned it all. Anyway, I hadn't got it 200 feet down the road and my mobile phone rang, which in those days was like a brick. You know, it was one of those big old phones. And he was on the phone. He goes, yeah, deal I did for that license. I said, yeah, yeah. And he sold it to me. He said, well, Larry's told me that he'll give me five times that price for it. I said, well, he, he, he can't deal with you. He needs to deal with me. I own it now. And he goes, no, 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 I don't want, I don't want to sell it to you. I want to keep it. No, no, it's too late, buddy. And so that was uh, that was how we got a license into V8 supercars. But, um, yeah, it's it sort of worked. Um, you know, like I said to you before, would I change things? Yeah, I definitely would change things. Um, you know, I, I'm 61 now and, and I want to enjoy life. And... 
my wife a couple of years ago said, well, I'm going to stop going to the races. And I thought about it for a bit. And um, then I stopped going to the, some of the races as well. And she goes, what are you doing? Why don't you go to the races anymore? I said, well, it's good enough for you. It's good enough for me. She said, I did it so I got a break. And, and I'm like, yeah, well, I'm doing the same thing. But no, it's, it, you know, you just change. Things change. Things happen. Um, you know, Andrew, we've got, we had three children. We lost one when he was 17. And, um, but the two that survived are chalk and cheese. And Andrew drove a race car for a living for a long time. He, he was, he was part of the business. Um, Mitch, our other son, you know, he didn't get his license until he was 21. Uh, I used to say to him, you have to get a license and a manual car. He said, Dad, if I was meant to drive a car with three pedals, I would add three feet. Um, so he, he was he's just completely different to to the other part of, of the family with Andrew. But, you know, Andrew's done a lot and um, he's won an Australian championship and um, he's, he's, you know, had a, had a reasonable run at everything, I think. Um, there's a couple of things that you, you change there as well, but not a lot, but... It's all, uh, it, it's all come to fruition, and, and, and it's it's very good. And you know, one of his sons now, we we go down to Cora where they have a billy cart race there every Easter, and um, Graham Winkup turns up with his Red Bull billy cart for his grandson, and I turn up with my billy cart for my grandson. And uh, in 2016, we won. 2017, they won, and 2018, we won again. So, you know, it's it sort of Times are repeating, I suppose. Mm. Well, Kim, it's been a fascinating chat, and uh, Brad's going to love the fact that the first question, your answer went 11 and a half minutes, so he's going to enjoy <laughs> that story. But uh, we're going to have to speak to you again sometime to uh, cover off the uh, the second part of your story, which is, of course, the supercar years. But uh, thanks yeah, very no much. no problems at all. Thanks very much, Kim Jones. Okay, I hope it was enjoyable. Thank you. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's tour at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought rests with... This weekend, going to Tail and Bend. I'm heading back to the track I visited on the way back from the Adelaide 500. And it's going to be fascinating because one of the great things is that there are three drivers who are competing there. David Reynolds in an uh, Erebus, I think it's an uh, Erebus-run Mercedes. Garth Tander in a Audi. And Tim Slade, I don't remember the car he's driving, but three of the supercar drivers will be back there in August, and they're having their first run at the brand-new Tail and Bend track. So we'll be looking forward to that. I hope to get an opportunity to talk to Sam Shahin, the instigator and the head of Tail and Bend Motorsport. So we'll look forward to that. And over to Craig and his final thought. My final thought is that there is uh, moves afoot, certainly at the council level in Rockhampton, to speak to supercars about getting an event for central Queensland. 
Now, the plan centres around a feasibility study that is being carried out by the local regional council and the possibility of building a permanent circuit in and around the areas known as the Common in the Northbridge Park area. Now, that would mean that the racetrack would uh, be co-located to the Fitzroy River running through that area. It is hoped that it would bring about 90,000 people to the Rockhampton area and perhaps as much as $40 million a year to the economy is being speculated. So, if it was to come off, it could provide a very important facility for that central Queensland region, particularly if it's a permanent circuit. One thing that did uh, take my interest in the the morning bulletins report was they needed an area that can accommodate 40 big rigs, another 20 that are associated with the media. Tony, I don't know how many people would uh, think that 20 rigs are associated with the media. I guess uh, you have to take in the TV crews because the uh, media rooms have been uh, shrinking over the time we've been covering sport. But uh, anyway, it would be a great thing. And if it's a permanent circuit for the other 360, probably two days of the year, they would have a facility there that could be really used by the region. So we'll watch to see how that progresses. And perhaps it might be the replacement for Queensland Raceway which certainly has uh, the sort of Damocles hanging over its head. And from Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel, good night for another week, and we'll give you a synopsis of what went on at Tail and Bend next weekend. And good night from me. And it's good night from him. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars.